just going to take us to one verse over in uh, the 122nd Psalm, and we're going to have another word of prayer, and then we'll begin the message. But in Psalm 122, verse 6, it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. So let's just pray for the peace of Jerusalem this morning and what's going on there. Father, we lift up the land of Israel this morning, people that you have chosen from long ago. We pray, Father, for the peace. We pray for safety, for protection, for wisdom and for guidance for uh, the leaders there and for each one who is involved in this uh, terrorist attack. We ask, O oh Father, that you would bless and keep, that you would uh, bring the peace through the Prince of Peace into this troubled area of the world. Father, we commit them to you because you tell us to pray for them and because we are simply those who have been engrafted in we thank you, Father, for bringing together Jew and Gentile into one body in Christ. We thank you, Father, for your divine purpose and your plan, and we commit them to you today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're in the fields of grace. Last week we were uh, looking at the prodigal daughter from Ruth chapter 1. Today, Ruth chapter 2. Next week, Pastor Sean will be here before he goes uh, back to Africa. So that's on the 15th. And then Ruth chapter 3, Lord willing, will be on the 22nd, our great redeemer. The quick outline for the book was chapter 1, weeping. Chapter 2, working, where we are this morning. Two weeks away, we'll get to the waiting. And if I get a chance, we'll get to the wedding in chapter 4. We're going to look at the scripture through the threefold lens, as we talked about last week, the primary, the practical, and the prophetic. The primary is, what is this telling us about? The historical account, the story of Ruth. How does this apply to me, and how does this work out in God's future plans? The prophetic. The book we said last week is mainly about God working and fulfilling his purpose, God working and fulfilling his plan in the midst of calamity and sorrow. It's about God working in the darkest of times. It's about speaking to people to have a hope, to know that we do have a hope, that we do have a future, even when everything seems to be going wrong. And I spoke about Timothy last week looking at our patio being broken up and how he burst forth into tears because he just saw bits and pieces and didn't see the plan. And it's so much like us today, as the people of God, we often don't see God's plan. We don't see what God is doing. We just see the bits and the pieces and the brokenness. And God wants to bring it all together in amazing fields of grace. And I suggest to you today we are living in fields of grace. We just sang about it, amazing grace. And so the point of the book of Ruth is what is God is doing right now in our lives in the midst of difficult times, difficult circumstances, in our personal lives, in our family lives, in the local church, in our country. We had a discussion with somebody this morning about our country. Where is it going? And then in the world, what's happening? And we think about uh, Israel this morning. So it's a very practical message from the book of Ruth. The ultimate purpose of the book 
though the mo not the most prominent one, has to do with King David, because we took you to the end of the book to see how the book ends with King David and his son, Jesus Christ. You get to Romans chapter 1, and Romans says, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Son of God. Since 70 AD, the Jewish people were scattered to the four corners of the earth for nearly 1,900 years. And then, as we said, in 1948, the state of Israel was born, and Naomi came back. My delight, the name God uses, Naomi's name means my delight, and the name that God uses in the Old Testament for his people, my delight. Naomi is back in the promised land, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of difficulty in the promised land. But we can pray for the peace of Israel, uh, no matter which side of the uh, equation you may be on. Uh, we can pray for the peace with moral clarity for Israel's right and duty to protect her people. That we can pray for. So Naomi is back in the promised land, and Ruth, most of us Gentiles, <laughs> are about to become the bride through the Jewish Redeemer. The hand of God had seemingly fallen hard upon Naomi when we left her last week. And Naomi and her family, there was a famine in Judah, that place of praise. They moved to Moab where they never should have gone. But, uh, Naomi's husband passes away. Her sons marry foreign women. Ten years of childlessness for both the daughter-in-laws. Her sons die. Her husband has since passed away. One blow after another has come to Naomi. And she says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And we find that in chapter 1, verse 13 and verse 20. In fact, she was so overwhelmed by life, she couldn't see. She could not see a glimmer of hope. For her, there was no hope. The Almighty had dealt bitterly with her. She knows there's a God. She holds on to that. She knows He's sovereign in the affairs of the universe, the world, and even sovereign over her personal life. But she doesn't see what God is doing. And we chose one of the songs this morning, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That should have been the prayer of Naomi. Lord, open the eyes of my heart to see what you're doing. Because I want to see in the midst of this, the trauma, the hurt, the brokenness, the things I can't understand. Maybe the things I don't want to understand sometimes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Could that be our prayer this morning? that we would ask that he would open the eyes of our heart, that as we gather here today, we would see Jesus. So in all of her trials, she does not see that God is working out his plan. God has lifted the famine. He's opened the way home, back to Bethlehem. He gave her an amazing and devoted daughter-in-law to accompany her back there in Bethlehem, God had preserved a kinsman of Naomi's husband who would someday marry Ruth and preserve Naomi's line. But presently, Ruth is controlled by her grief, her circumstances. And when she returns back 
to Bethlehem. She says in verse 21 of chapter 1, I went out full, and the Lord, she still knows he's Lord, the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, my delight or pleasant? Since the Lord has testified against me and afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. She doesn't want to be called Naomi, my delight anymore. She wants to be called Mara, bitter. Bitterness. When we think things should go one way, and they go the other way, how easy it is to allow the root of bitterness to take place and then to begin to take root in the soil of our heart. And before long, that little sprout just grows and grows and grows and takes over our lives. And that's what happened to Naomi. She allowed the bitterness to take over and it began to affect her. And she couldn't see the hope, didn't have the confidence what the Lord was doing. When things don't turn out the way we planned, when people don't respond the way we think they should respond, we can become bitter. And that little seed, because the book of Hebrews tells us it's a seed. It says in Hebrews 12, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, oh, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God in the fields of grace, the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up. It grows so quickly. And Naomi let it take over her life, the garden of her life, if you please. Rather than having the fruits of the Spirit, she had the fruit of bitterness, the seed of bitterness. It's often a hurt that gets planted in life. It may be intentional. It may be unintentional. But it gets into the life. It gets into the heart. Someone does not mean to hurt you, but you were hurt. Maybe someone meant to hurt you and you were hurt. But there may be times when there are words and actions and things happen and the soil of the heart allows bitterness to come in. We need to allow the work of the grace of God to work in our lives. To say, Lord, I feel this bitterness. I, I feel this anxiety in my life that doesn't belong there. I know it's not from you. Rather than nurturing it and saying, you know what happened to me? Let me tell you what, what happened to me. No. Go to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Let him deal with that bitterness. Let him bring grace. Say, Lord, I need a refreshing of your grace. This is not how you intended me to be. You intended me to live in the fields of grace. There are various seasons of life. We need to be open and flexible. Human life is full of transitions. We say at the college, there's only one constant. Change. You may say that in your life. Change is only, the only thing that's consistent in my life is things keep changing. You go from one day to another and this changes. The weather changes. A few days ago we had the air conditioning on. Now we put the heat on if you're not too frugal. Uh, you know, things change. Things move about in our lives. And we need to be able to say, I am here by God's appointment. I am here in his keeping. 
I am here in his training. I am here in his time. And so as we come to chapter 2, the whole atmosphere begins to shift. We see that God is a God of grace. His timing is perfect for Ruth and Naomi to arrive in Bethlehem. Remember, Bethlehem is the house of bread. And they come back, and it says, in the barley season. Now, I said last week that this book of Ruth could have taken hundreds of pages to write the story of Ruth. Fifteen years. It's compressed to four chapters in the Old Testament. Who cares that it's the barley season? Apparently, the Holy Spirit cares. So we're coming back to the house of bread in the barley season. Barley is the food that is given to the horses to feed the horses, and it's the food that is used by the poorest of people. Remember Jesus, the little boy came to him or with his loaves and fishes. They were the barley loaves. He was a poor kid. He wasn't some rich kid. He was a poor kid giving what he had to Jesus. Barley is planted in the fall, and it's the first grain to ripen. And it coincides with, here's the important point, the Feast of First Fruits. We've just gone through the Passover, the crucifixion, and right after that comes the Feast of First Fruits. They are returning at the Feast of First Fruits. The First Fruits is resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection here. You see First Fruits in the Word of God, you know there's going to be a resurrection life coming. You see the number three of the Bible is often resurrection. Remember, uh, Abraham took his son up to the mountaintop on the third day. Hint, point, there's going to be a resurrection. You see first fruits, hint, point, there's going to be resurrection. He brings them back at the time of resurrection. There's revival going on in Bethlehem in the house of bread. And Ruth and Naomi come back at a time of revival. They come back at the first fruits right after Passover. Christ is the Passover for us, but he's also the first fruits of them that slept. Other people rose, but they died again. Jesus is the first to rise and to continue living. So we're going to see resurrection life here in chapter 2. There's a sign saying, resurrection life, straight ahead. And I want to tell you this morning, and tell me this morning, there's a sign in your life. There's resurrection life. God is going to do something special in your life. So Naomi returns as one of the poorest in Israel, but we find out that she has a kinsman, a relative, who was one of the richest people in Bethlehem. Somehow she forgot that. Bethlehem is experiencing revival. Naomi hears about the revival, and she begins to return. She's beginning to return in repentance. Repentance and revival always go together. She's going back to where she lost the blessing. Let me take you over to 2 Kings chapter, chapter 6, uh, where we have Elisha spe speaking, having experience. And Elisha has brought people together into a Bible school. And they said, you know, our Bible school is not big enough. We need, to, we need a bigger place. Can we build a bigger building? Let's get the servant's heart together and let's build a bigger building. And Elijah said, go ahead. So they went down to the Jordan River and they cut down trees. 2 Kings 6 verse 4. As one was cutting down a tree, 
the iron axe head fell into the water and he cried out and said, alas, master, it was borrowed. It wasn't even my axe head and I lost it. What am I going to do? And the man of God said, where did you lose it? Go back to where you lost it. If you want to know revival in your life, if you want to know God's blessing and you feel somehow it's, you're just going through the actions or things are drying up or, or bitterness is coming, go back to where you lost it. Naomi is going back to where she lost it. When you look in Revelation chapter 3, the, the letters to the churches, the church of Ephesus, had lost its first love. And the message to the church was, go back to where you lost it. Remember, repent, return. Go back to where you lost it. And Naomi is going to back, go back where she lost it. She had lost her husband. She had lost her homeland. She had no children. Uh, and she's taking Ruth with her, who, someone who is culturally different. They were both poor. According to Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 25, if you were too poor to buy food, you went down to the welfare office and got your food stamps. Oh, God had a better plan. You go to work. <laughs> and you go to work because you can glean in somebody else's field. And the Israelites were to leave. They were to glean in a circular pattern and leave the, the corners for others who were too poor to come and glean. If you want food, come and work for it. And you can have it. So they were allowed to glean. Gleaners gathered up the fragments, the leftovers. The leftovers were there for those who were strangers. Ruth was a stranger. The fatherless, we don't know about that. And the widows. She met at least two of the three criteria. She could go out and be a gleaner. Now we're into the text. Verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said, go my daughter. And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Verse 1, we meet Boaz here. He was a mighty man. That was a nice biblical way of saying he was rich. He was wealthy. Boaz means in him is strength. So he's a strong man, but more importantly, he's a spiritual man, as we'll see later on down in verse 4. Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they said, The Lord bless you. He's the boss. And they say, Lord bless you, boss. And the boss is saying, Lord, Lord, bless these people. You see, he's a spiritual man. If you want to know about a man, don't look at him on Sunday. Look at him on Monday and Tuesday and Friday afternoon. See how deep his spirituality goes. What he's like in the details of his life. Not just what we see. Verse 2, Ruth didn't say, well, the world owes me a living. I'm just a poor foreigner, and I don't know what to do. I'm coming along for the ride. You know, we live in a day of entitlement today. The world owes me. Let others do it. Let society take care of me. 
The Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, whatever that is. Ruth was submissive both to the Lord and to Naomi. Paul said, I've learned to be content whether I have a lot or whether I have very little. Ruth takes the initiative here. She seeks work. She doesn't sit around murmuring and complaining. That's how bitterness gets in. Life isn't fair. This isn't how I expected it to turn out. This isn't, this isn't my dream. She didn't fantasize about the good old days in Moab. You see, sometimes we write a script, and when it doesn't turn out, there's a gap between the script and reality. We become depressed. We become bitter. But Ruth was standing upon the Word of God. The Word of God tells me I can go out and glean. That's my privilege, to stand upon the Word of God. Chapter 1, they were living by sight and not by faith. Now we flip the script here. They're living by faith and not by sight. Ruth didn't know where she was going to go. She had never gleaned before. She didn't know how she would be accepted. James chapter 2 reminds us that faith without works is dead. I'm not preaching salvation by works. But faith without works is dead. The will of God, I think, is more like a scroll than a book. You know, the book, we can go to the last chapter and read it. But the will of God is like a scroll. kind of just unfolds. You just keep reading it, unfolding it, unfolding it. You'll see that in your life, the will of God. Find out what the Word of God says and start obeying that. She submitted to the Word of God by becoming a gleaner. In verse 2, she submits to her mother-in-law. In verse 7, she submits to the reapers, saying, please let me glean and gather. She had that right, but she said, please let me glean and gather. Verse 10, she submits to Boaz, even though she didn't know who he was and what he could do for her. Gleaning was an unpleasant work, back-breaking, chapping hands, wearisome, exposed to the elements, um, scant gleanings, you hardly got anything, hardly any leftovers, open to danger and crass remarks, but it's better to be a gleaner where God wants you than a well-paid reaper anywhere else. Remember Abraham, when he was told to go out, let's take Isaac, he got up early in the morning and he began that journey. Later on, Abraham wanted to get a wife for Isaac. He talks to Eliezer, who means God is my helper. Find a wife. And Eliezer says, I being in the way, God led me. Just get moving and God will lead you. God will guide you. God will direct you. Uh, Moses and David were shepherding when God spoke to them. Elisha and Amos were planting. Peter, James, and John were either fishing or mending their nets when God called them. As they were moving, God led them. God's word reminds us that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So we need the Holy Spirit and we need a sanctified mind. And Ruth was guided to the right field. I call it the field of grace. God's grace working. 
As a family, we have never asked for choices. We've asked simply for God's will. We don't need choices. We just need God's will. What does he want? What does he have for us? And Naomi recognizes God's good hand in all of this when we get down to verse 20. Divine appointments. God has divine appointments. When you submit to the Lord, he will lead you. And Naomi and Ruth got fed because of this. So we can sing, where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. God does it all. He meets every need. In verse 4, just at the right time, guess who shows up on the scene? Boaz. He comes on a supervisory tour. We, today we call it uh, MBWA, Management by Walking Around. He was walking around greeting him and saying, the Lord bless you, the Lord bless you. And they were greeting him back. The Lord bless you, the Lord bless you. Uh, what a wonderful work environment. And then verse 5, 6, and 7, Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is that? Where is she from? And the servant said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Really, really hitting the theme here. She's a Moabite. And she said, please, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. She came and has continued from morning until nigh now, although she rested a little while. And Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? You'll listen? Do not glean in another field nor go from here, but stay close by my young men. Let your eyes be on the field in which they reap and go after them. Have not I commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. She's taken the initiative. She's been humble. She's asked for permission. She's not presumptuous. She's a hard worker. And we have seven different blessings here in the field of grace that were Ruth's blessings, but there also are blessings today. The blessing of guidance. Ruth needed to be guided. What field should she go to? There are a lot of fields out here. Where do I go? No mailboxes, no markers, no GPS. My goodness, what's she going to do? She's an alien. Possibly she's wearing her, oh, what they call widow weeds. Uh, she would have been marked out as being a widow. Uh, dressed in black. She was an inexperienced gleaner. She needed to know. You know, the word of God says, I will guide thee with my eye. That implies we have to be looking at him, doesn't it? If we're going to see the eye, we're going to have to be guided. Jesus and uh, Peter walking on the water, remember? Peter took his eyes off the Lord and saw the circumstances and began to sink. Shortest prayer in the Bible, I think. Lord, save me. But she had the blessing of guidance. We have the blessing of guidance. We have the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit. Secondly, she had the blessing of protection uh, in verse 9. Stay in this field. Stay with all the young women here, and I've commanded the young men not to touch you. You're a widow. You're a foreigner. The, the harvesters could be crude, vicious, brutal, insulting, perhaps even physically attacked especially during harvest celebration. Stay close to the women workers. Stray sheep are vulnerable. 
When we're disappointed in the Lord and what he's doing, we sometimes move away from the fellowship, right where we should run. We should run into fellowship. We should run to one another. But instead, sometimes we just, we move away. And the blessing of fellowship, the blessing of protection, we protect one another. Uh, Sheep who are alone are so vulnerable. The uh, theory of divide and conquer is out there. One of the worst consequences, I think, of COVID, well, let me tell you the best one, the traffic. When I go to work in Newark, there's hardly any traffic. That was the best consequence. The worst consequence (laughs) is fragmentation of relationships. Well, you know, I really don't have to be with people. I've got the internet. (laughs) And I can communicate, and we we can do FaceTime, and we can do online services. One of the worst consequences, I think it's hurt the body of Christ greatly, because we need each other. We need the warmth. We need the compassion. We need the look in the eye. We need the hug, the handshake, the greeting, the care and concern that only comes one-on-one. So be careful. The blessing of protection. She had tasted of grace, and he said, don't go anywhere else. If you've tasted of the grace of God, don't look back. Don't look anywhere else for your satisfaction. What you start in the Spirit, complete in the Spirit. And then there's the blessing of protection. Not only was she allowed to glean, extra was provided. The men were told to drop a little bit, drop a little bit here, drop a little bit there. When we come to the end of it, she has a whole bushel full of gleanings. The Israelites were to have one-tenth of a bushel per day. She had 10 days supply in that bushel. 10, of course, is the number of completion of, and of testimony. It says, my God will provide all of your needs. Not our greeds, but our needs. She was provided extra food. She was provided water. She was served lunch. And she had leftovers. She packed a doggy bag and took it home uh, to her mother-in-law. God provided her needs. Fourthly, he provided encouragement. Here in verse 13, and she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly. That word kindly is that you've spoken from your heart. I felt your heart speaking to me. You just weren't saying words. You were speaking from the heart. She understood. The eyes of her heart were open to hear Boaz speaking to her from the heart. You've spoken my heart language to my heart. You've encouraged me. And how important it is to encourage one another. The fifth blessing was the blessing of fellowship down in uh, verse 14. Uh, Boaz said at mealtime, come, Here, eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Sounds like a a communion service, doesn't it? (laughs) She was having communion. She was having fellowship. God was meeting the fellowship there. She was welcome at the table. We, last week, were welcome if we were believers in Christ at the Lord's table. We're welcome at the table. The blessing of fellowship. She was nourished, the strength to carry on. And as we gather on Sundays, we do gather to worship, but also to get strength to carry on. But if you think what you get today is going to carry you through the week, you're going to have a miserable week. 
every day we need to glean. Every day we need to get something, something new from the Word of God. I've probably told you this before, but uh, when I first, the first time I met Dr. Robert Cook from the King's College, and uh, he said to me, young man, what have you heard from the Word of God today? Oh. I had read it, but, but what was new? He was asking, what did you get new? What did you get fresh and new? And I, have, ever since then, have decided I'd never be embarrassed if that question were asked again. What have I heard new from the... God wants to speak to you every day with a new word, an encouraging word. And then maybe a word that you can encourage and share with somebody else. Because they're going to need that word as well. Uh, so blessing of fellowship, there's blessing of acceptance. He doesn't treat her like an alien. She was an alien. She was a widow, a poor woman. Uh, she got grace. She was accepted in the beloved. What does Ephesians 2 tell us? We are accepted in the beloved. Romans 15 verse 7 says, Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Now there's a commandment. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. And then there's the blessing of satisfaction. The past is forgotten. Her needs are met. The future is hopeful. She's cared for. And now we come to verse 10 to 13. A very important interchange. I want to go back with it. Uh, she fell on her face, bowed down on the ground, and said to Boaz, Why have I found grace in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me that all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you have left your father and mother the land of your birth, and come to a people whom you did not know before, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, and here's the key, under whose wings you have come to trust. She fell on her face. Why have I found grace? Why have I found favor? Why have you treated me so favorably? I'm a foreigner. I'm an outsider. I don't belong here. And Boaz says, you've done all of these good things. May the Lord bless you for that. See, Boaz is only an instrument that God is using. The Lord repay you. The Lord give you a reward. But Boaz knows one thing that's more important, that Ruth is a believer. And now he can have some romantic interest in her as well. And the word of God says, don't be unequally yoked together. That's an admonition to anybody here today who's unmarried. You've come under his wings. I want to talk about that for a few minutes as we close this morning. Under his wings. It's a common Old Testament teaching. Psalm 57 verse 1 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge. Why would God show mercy to Ruth? Because she has already sought refuge under his wings. She esteemed God's protection better than anything else. God's protection was superior to all others. She had set her heart and her hope on God. And Boaz prayed that God would reward Ruth for all that she had done. Sometimes we hear the expression, I'm going to take you under my wing. 
Maybe somebody is young and needs to learn something, or somebody's new in the organization, or even new in the church, who's hell, or a new believer, I'm going to take you under my wing. Ruth had come under the wing of Almighty God. Because God was teaching, God was caring for her, God was guiding her under his wings. That's a metaphor that we use. It's a metaphor that the Bible uses for a mother bird uh, taking care of her hatchlings under her wings, nurturing, training, protecting, guiding. Uh, There's an example over the book of Deuteronomy where the Lord is seen as an eagle. And the little eaglets are in the nest. And they won't get out of the nest. And the eagle begins tearing the nest apart until it gets down to the thorny parts. And the little eaglets get a little uncomfortable and they, they jump out of the nest. But they can't fly. And the eagle comes along and catches the little eaglets and allows them to ride on the wing so they can understand. Maybe you're in a nest today and you feel that it's being pulled apart and you're, you're feeling the pricks, you know, and the ouches and... Come under his wings. Come under his care. Jesus said the same thing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, who are sent to her, how off I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Whenever the children of God needed help, they prayed, and we see it over in Psalm 17, hide me under the shadow of your wings. And then one last passage on this is over in Psalm 91, if you want to turn there with me, uh, to Psalm 91, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. Taking refuge under his wings, under his care, under his protection. You see, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people associated God's presence with a specific place. It was called the Holy of Holies. It was in the tabernacle, it was in the temple. And only once a year could the high priest go into that special place, the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, they would bring the blood of sacrifice for their sin. And inside there was the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod that budded and other items. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was pure gold called the Mercy Seat. And over the mercy seat were two angelic beings in gold with their wings touching each other, covering the mercy seat. When you get to John chapter 20, the resurrection, they enter the empty tomb and there are two angels seated on the tomb, one at the head, one at the foot. Jesus Christ, our mercy seat, once again being pictured in the word of God. The angel's wings, the wings under his wings, under the Lord's wings, under the covering of the mercy seat, taking refuge, getting our strength, faith working through love. And so she worked 
She worked from morning to night. She went home, bought home the extra food. She bought home a bushel of grain. And the important question was, why have I found favor? The question we need, need to think about this morning, why have we found favor? Why have we found favor? Why do we know the amazing grace of God? The grace of God that gives us our strength and our wisdom and what we need. The mercy from God. The Lord had blessed her because she was trusting under his wings. And verse 20, and we need to, need to close with this this morning. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he whom the Lord has not forsaken. Uh, Naomi, you're beginning to see God's plan. You're beginning to see. You're not forsaken. God had a plan all along. Blessed be he, the Lord has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. I said, we're going to see resurrection life. We're going to see resurrection life. And Naomi said to her, Boaz, he's one of our relatives. He's a close relative. In fact, he's a kinsman. And we'll see about the kinsman redeemer in the next two chapters going forward. Uh, it's the word goel. It's used about 62 times in the Old Testament. And it's usually called redeemer. He is our redeemer. He's going to be able to bring something that was dead back to life. You who were dead in your trespasses and sin, has he quickened? There's three requirements to be a goel. I'll just hit these rather quickly. You need to be a near relative. Boaz was a near relative. Jesus Christ, in order to redeem us, had to become one with us. He had to take upon human flesh. Holy God, holy man, flesh and blood, tempted and tested and tried. At Calvary, we see he took upon our sins complete identification. He became sin for us. Secondly, to be a goel, a redeemer, you had to have the power to redeem. You see, you could be a goel, but a poor goel, and that wouldn't help. You couldn't buy. You couldn't redeem back. Jesus Christ, though he were rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Christ slain from the foundation of the world. He had the power to redeem. And thirdly, you had to be willing to do it. We're going to meet another Goel in this book of Ruth who won't do it, who refuses. But Boaz was willing. Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. No man took his life. The good news is that God does not need our help. It was the Lord who preserved Boaz for Ruth. It's no coincidence that Ruth just happened to come to Boaz's field. It was no coincidence that Boaz happened to show favor to a poor foreigner the Lord directed. And the response of Ruth was to fall on her face. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve his goodness. And I pray that would be our prayer today, that we would understand 
God has brought us here for a purpose. God has a plan. And if you're in Christ Jesus, we don't deserve it. Let's honor him and love him. Let's obey him. Let's keep close to him and close to each other and fulfill his plan and purpose. Confess our unworthiness. Take refuge under the wings and be astonished at his amazing grace.